spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs and Beachside Roofing. Happy Aloha Friday. Thank you so much for joining us here live on Spotlight Hawaii, streaming on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. Uh, we're looking at the numbers again today, Ryan, and shining a spotlight on the om Omicron surge here in Hawaii. That's right. And we want to bring in someone who's working, of course, uh, closely with this, following the numbers. Uh, she leads the Department of Health we're welcoming back uh, in Director of the Department of Health, Dr. Libby Char. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, let's begin and start right away with where we're at, with these numbers that we continue to see due to the Omicron variant. Uh, what is the Department of Health uh, seeing in the trend at this point in time? And when can we expect to see, hopefully, these numbers come down? Yeah, I think we're all anxious to want to get back to life as we knew it pre-pandemic. Um, Right now, we are still seeing the numbers increasing. Uh, if you look at really what we should be following are the trends. And so if you look at the average number of new cases per day, that's still trending up. Today, we are at 4,000, just shy of 4,600 new cases every single day in Hawaii. Let's talk about the, you know, the announcement that you made over last weekend to say that um, you would not be giving percentages of positivity. Uh, can you tell us how that decision was made? Expand on that a little bit, when we can expect to get that positivity rate back. And also, how are we to put these numbers into context if we don't have that metric? Sure. So last Saturday, we mentioned that um, the percent test positivity um, would not be posted for probably a couple of weeks. So that should be up, uh, up and running again in maybe another week or so. Um, the issue was that just with the amount of positive cases and the data flowing in, as it gets processed, it was creating a bit of a slowdown. And so in an effort to make sure that we have an accurate portrayal of the number of positive cases, um, the decision was made to pause processing the negative cases so we're still receiving that data. And at some point we'll, we'll get through it, but we thought it was more important to get the positive cases through first. Um, and so we put a pause on processing the negative. Without the negative cases, you don't really have a denominator for the total number of cases. And so it then becomes difficult to calculate the percent positivity. So we're also looking at different ways that that could be calculated. Um, but in the meantime, we're, we're processing to get the positive cases through and we're still collecting all of the other data. One number that we continue to watch closely is the hospitalizations. What can you tell us about where we are right now and maybe compare that to where we were when we saw the peak with Delta and how things are looking in our hospitals? Yeah, so the hospital numbers are very concerning. Um, I don't think there's any cause for panic, but it, it's just very concerning. I know there, were, there was a lot of chatter that, you know, Omicron drove mild, you don't have to worry about it. Um, but we are seeing numbers today. I think the hospitalized um, population is up to about 400, 420 in that ballpark. 
when we had the peak of Delta, we were at about 436, if I recall correctly. And so we are absolutely seeing a number of people in the hospital. The good thing is that we're not seeing the same percentage in the ICU. So I think today we're almost at 50 people in the ICU. That's a lot of people and that's directly attributed to COVID. Um, but thankfully with the huge numbers of infections that we're seeing in people with COVID-19 now in Omicron, um, we don't end up with the same percentage of people in the hospitals. But because there are just so many overall cases, the sheer number is still very high. And do you think from where, you know, you said that the numbers are still, positivities are still trending up, just the raw data. Um, you know, there have been some in the community, uh, including the lieutenant governor here on this show, who said that we are plateauing right now. Do you agree with that analysis? I think it's a bit early to call that. Um, if we if we look at the trend over the past week, it is still increasing. Um, this, the slope that almost every state has seen is a near vertical rise in the, in the epi curves. Um, that may be slowing down a little bit, but certainly we're still on an upswing. If you look at the numbers from, you know, this week, it was 3,500 new cases a day, and we're up to 4,000, almost 600 cases a day. So it, we're, we're still on a rise. I think it's a little early to call any sort of plateau or anything like that. I'm hopeful that maybe in the next week or so, maybe we can get to a plateau, um, but I don't think we're there yet. As we see some of these high numbers, the other thing that many people are also looking at is the, the numbers that we're seeing on some of the neighbor islands, knowing that the hospital capacity of these islands are much smaller than what we have here on the island of Oahu. What can you tell us about what we're seeing uh, with trends on the neighbor islands and the hospitalizations there? Uh, and if those hospitals that are at a point where they are managing uh, fairly well, or if things are getting to a point where there needs to be some concern over the hospitalizations that are happening on the neighbor islands. Yeah, we're seeing tremendous case counts all across the state, including the neighbor islands. Um, so that's very concerning. Again, the good thing is that the percentage of people that end up in the hospital with Omicron is a lot lower than it was for Delta. Um, that being said, just the sheer numbers, the hospitals are very, very full. One of the things that's helped a lot is that we got some of the surge staffing um, nurses and technicians and whatnot across the state now. And, and all of the hospitals have said that that's been really, really beneficial. They were at you know crisis staffing and real critical staffing. And right now it, they're stretched, but they still have capacity. So that, that has been a really welcome um, boost that we got. And then we're expecting another tranche of, um, of surge staffing to come in this weekend and, and start work in the early next week. So that also will help tremendously. Uh, I wanna bring in this question from Kara. She says, are they seeing a lot of clusters in schools? Uh, read in the paper just today about such an increase in absences. This of course is due to exposures and, and possible uh, COVID in some of the students. And so a lot of parents keeping their kids home. Um, are schools safe right now in your estimation? I think we have to remember that the schools are are just a reflection of the community, and so we're you know we're seeing a twenty percent positivity rate in the community. Um, that's going to translate to into the schools where kids are getting infected at home, um, and then they're they're taking it to school. Uh, I think our school um, health teams from the Department of Health have been working really really closely with the Department of Education to help provide guidance, to help evaluate, um, to make sure that we have 
testing available for students and their families in the community um, to make sure that we have vaccination available for students and their families in the community um, and, and really to help with the guidance and the outreach. So I think we have to remember that schools are a reflection of the community. Um, that being said, I think there's a lot of importance in keeping kids in school. There's a great benefit to that, but we always have to weigh that with the downside of, you know, are, are we exposing kids unnecessarily? I think with the mitigation measures in place, um, for now the school, the Department of Health, school health advisory teams um, have have said that we're okay for now. Let's let's keep the kids in school, um, but that's that's a decision for every every parent and and every student to make. Um, Want to also get an update on boosters? We know that this has been a push by the Department of Health as well as many elected officials, not only here in Hawaii but you know throughout the country. We hear the president also encouraging this. What can you tell us about where we stand right now as a state? in terms of our booster numbers and those who have gotten this third shot? So as of this morning, um, you look at my notes, I believe we are at 31.4% uh, of our state has received their primary series and booster shots. 75.5% um, have received their primary series. And then we have a bunch that have not yet completed primary series, um, about three. I think that was about 350,000 people that are still very, very susceptible. Um, we're doing well with the with the primary series. We could, we're doing okay with our booster shots as well. But we really, really want people to go out there and get your booster shots. It makes a tremendous difference in Omicron. Omicron has a lot of um, immune evasion um, properties, and so it's really important. What we're seeing is after your first shot. After your first two shots, your primary series, you have good protection, and then your neutralizing antibodies start to wane over time. So at about five months, um, we know that that your neutralizing antibodies, your system that would catch the uh, virus right up front if, if you get exposed to it, before you ever get infected, um, those numbers come down. And so by getting a booster shot, it just skyrockets those numbers. And so it not only helps to keep you safe, it helps you even to to prevent you from getting infected. So there's there's it's kind of your immune system um, is revved up after you get your primary series. That's really important. That keeps you from getting severe illness and that minimizes your chance of ending up in the hospital. Um, if you get infected and you have the virus in you, your T cells and your B cells will attack it and, and will help to minimize your disease course. But those neutralizing antibodies will jump on that virus and try and attack it and keep you safe before you ever actually get infected. And so that's why it's so important to get those booster shots. Given the importance of the booster that you just highlighted there, uh, what have your conversations been like with state officials, um, you know, talking about the governor and the mayor of the, the mayors actually of all the counties in terms of requiring vaccine verification to include uh, the booster as part of that uh, part of that checklist? Yeah, so we we have done our best to message that, you know, the boosters are tremendously important, especially with Omicron. And we've been trying to encourage people to please go get their booster shots. So to the extent that the counties or, you know, the government can do something that would encourage that more strongly, um, that seems like a good idea. I understand there are always, you know, two sides to everything. But, but yes, if we can encourage more people to go get boosted, that's a good thing. And I'm hearing that um, 
Maui is is going to require for I think for restaurants and whatever their vaccine um, card is used for, um, we would strongly encourage that. Given that we are seeing a significant amount of people who are still testing positive for COVID-19, despite having been vaccinated and even those who have been boosted, you know, we know that there are these breakthrough cases that are happening. And while their symptoms may not be as severe and are limiting them from going to the hospital, it is still spreading even for those who have been boosted. Do you think that that uh, should result in the inclusion of more testing that's being done, um, say testing as well as a booster to say get into an establishment um, to enter to some of these events that continue to be happening, knowing that the vaccine and booster alone is not necessarily preventing the spread. Do you believe that testing uh, should be an option for some of these things? So I, I think that the boosters are helpful in preventing spread um, because it appears that if you have had your vaccinations and especially your booster shot, um, even if you do get infected, the peak viral load seems to be less than for those who are completely unvaccinated. And the duration that you are contagious seems to be sh a shorter window than for those who are not vaccinated. So it does make a difference. As far as testing goes, um, I think it makes sense to test absolutely if somebody's symptomatic, test if you've been exposed. And I think on a preventive front, um, you know, is it a good use to test for all of you know to get into those venues and whatnot? You know, I think it depends on on how much of that resource we have. So I think if you were say you're going to go visit, you know, a loved one who is um, a high risk for you know they would have a bad outcome if they if they got really sick, that may be worth testing before going to that family dinner, you know, with your grandma or somebody who's immune compromised. I don't know that I would advocate for everybody testing just to go to a restaurant or, or along those lines, because I think that the number of tests that we would require would, would not be a, a good use of the resources that we have. Well, on that subject of resources, George White has a question here. Director Char, are we reaching an artificial ceiling on reportable cases due to our limited testing capacity? What is our testing capacity right now? Um, and are, do you think that it is sufficient given the spread of the virus? So I think George raises a good question. Um, we have good testing capacity right now. Um, we are running tests locally, but you have to remember that the people in the hospitals, the people who are in the labs and whatnot, they're susceptible to illness too. So we have a lot of people that are out sick. That's going to put more of a strain on the hospitals, on the labs, and I'm talking employees. Um, we have good capacity. I think the other thing to remember is that there are an awful lot of people now who are doing antigen tests or home tests. And that's a really, really good addition to, to the whole testing strategy. But oftentimes we're not going to get those numbers. In fact, the majority of those, if you do a home test, we won't, we won't know your numbers at the Department of Health, right? So those aren't getting counted. Um, so we know that there are a lot more positives out there than what we're reporting. That being said, I think it's still important that we're reporting because at least we can see the trends and things. But, but we know there are a lot more cases than what we have eyes on in terms of positive tests. Um, the federal government announced that you can get COVID test online now, free home test. And so that's gonna help give people access to the testing um, that they'll just mail it directly to your home. But again, we're not gonna be able to capture those test results at the Department of Health and, and log those in as well. So, so on the one hand, it's really good. It, it's 
what it needs to be. It's a tool for you to know what your status is and to modify your behavior. Um, from a from a data standpoint, it will be sort of an unknown because we won't be able to capture those numbers. And is there a way, I mean, with those who are taking these home tests, who are getting these positive results, um, is there something that they should be doing? Should they reporting it, self-reporting it to the Department of Health to be added into these numbers? Uh, and is there any clear way or any idea of knowing just how many true positive cases there are with the number of people that are taking these at-home tests? Yeah, so right now we don't have a mechanism for people to, to self-report. I mean, can you imagine getting flooded with you know, 50,000 pieces of data every day. Um, and then we have no way of validating that either or, or you know, the, the controls on the testing that was done. I think the importance really is rather than a diagnostic tool, we should think of it as a public health tool. And so you can test yourself. You know what your circumstances are and whether or not you have symptoms. And you can change your behavior accordingly based on what your test results are. And I think I would remind people and urge them that if you have symptoms, stay home, isolate. If you got a negative test, but you're sick, stay home anyway. You know, it could be that you just tested really early and that you haven't gotten a high enough viral load that you're going to make that antigen test positive. So if you have symptoms, if you're sick at all, you know, a sore throat, or you're feeling really run down or achy, stay home, test yourself at home with your home kits. But, you know, if you get a negative test and you're symptomatic, I would probably test again in a few days. You know, there is a perception right now in the community, I hear it from some of my friends, that this is relatively mild, that you're going to get over it. And so, uh, you know, people are obviously, we've talked about pandemic fatigue for some time now, they are fatigued. And there is this perception that because this variant is relatively mild, uh, that it's not as big of a deal. What, what's your response to people who feel like that right now? You know, certainly understandable, but I think that's a real gamble. And I think that I would worry that people are making decisions like that, not understanding the full scope of this disease. Um, you know, we have record numbers of people with COVID in the hospital. I think that should, that right there says a lot. Um, thankfully, the degree to which people are getting sick doesn't match what we saw in Delta, but we still don't know about the long-term risks. We don't know about the sequelae for these. And we don't know if you're going to be one of those people that's going to get really, really sick from this and end up in the hospital. Your chances are lower, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. And so I think to say, you know, just just go ahead and get sick. Um, I don't think that's a really good idea right now. The other issue is that, you know, as we saw from people who had infections early on, but never got vaccinated, they were absolutely susceptible to Omicron and to Delta. So, you know, to say that you're just going to go ahead and get sick, I don't really see the, the point in that because if we get another variant that comes through and we, we likely will before this is all over, um, you may be just as susceptible to that. You'll get sick all over again. We do have a few questions about our Keiki and, uh, and COVID cases. What can you tell us about what we're seeing with the pediatric cases? Uh, do we, is there, has there been an increase in pediatric cases uh, in the hospitals with this uh, new variant? So across the nation with Omicron, they're seeing a really big surge in the pediatric population. Um, some of the thought is, is that related to children being um, not being eligible for vaccination? Thankfully, in Hawaii, we haven't seen that gigantic rise, which is not to say we don't have a lot of kids getting sick, 
but we're not seeing them in the hospital. And our rate has been fairly steady. I want to say it's maybe about 20-ish percent um, of our COVID cases are seen in the pediatric population. But that's not translating to a whole bunch of pediatric um, hospitalizations, thankfully. There are a lot of questions uh, about travel. Mel has one here. Does she support testing all travelers coming to Hawaii? What about, the, you know, there had been talk about testing people once they got here, but that of course creates a burden on our testing capacity. But what about testing visitors before they get here, imposing that requirement on the uh, Safe Travels program, bringing that back because we did have that at one point. What are your thoughts on that? Um, and would that make a difference uh, with our numbers since we have so much community spread right now? Well, from a public health standpoint, it would be great to add a whole bunch of measures. Um, I've since learned that some things are, are not possible, like you can't mandate certain things like interstate travel and whatnot. There are rules, federal rules that affect some of that. Um, just from a purely public health standpoint, sure, if we tested everybody, everybody had to have a negative test before they arrived here, um, that would be another piece of information for us to know whether or not somebody had an infection before they showed up. Um, beyond saying, you know, I'd love to say everybody needs to be vaccinated and boosted before you can come here. Um, but I don't think, you know, there are <laughs> legal issues um, related to that. But from a public health standpoint, I would say everybody, even local residents, you know, I would love to be able to say you must be vaccinated and boosted and then add on to that, take a negative test before you get, you know, show a negative test before you fly. Um, but that gets into economics and, and legal issues but when speaking about the booster shots of course there is this strong push and campaign to get people to get that third shot but we could soon be talking about a fourth shot i mean when you think about those who initially have gotten the booster shot that went into you know may have gotten it in say november or even october of last year they could be looking at that five six month window yet again um when is the conversation beginning uh, to happen about that fourth shot and and when would when is that recommendation do you think would be coming out? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, a lot of my colleagues have said from the beginning that we should have viewed this as a three shot series, similar to hepatitis B, and that, that you really need that third shot to kind of cement um, good solid immunity. Um, I haven't heard a lot of chatter in the US about a fourth shot and we just don't know yet, but. I don't know. I, I'm thinking that with the three shots, we should be pretty good. I know Israel was was doing fourth shots for susceptible populations. Um, I don't know if that's shown a significant benefit or not. So I, I think the important thing is get your primary series at a minimum, because then we know that you've got protection within you. You've got the B cells and the T cells that are going to fight infection should you happen to get infected. And then the booster shot is going to really give you a great rise in your neutralizing antibodies as well. And so that's going to protect you on a, on a whole nother level and a different mechanism. And so I think getting those, those three shots, getting your primary series and getting your booster right now look like they confer pretty darn good protection for you. 
you know, I always like to ask you sort of on your own behavior and how you're navigating the pandemic. So we'll ask you again. I know that you don't have time to go to restaurants, but as people, you know, there's been so much talk, especially from Mayor Blangiardi, about this idea of personal responsibility. As we navigate these questions for ourselves, given that it doesn't seem like there's going to be restrictions on crowd size and what have you, um, how are you advising people to go grocery shopping, go to restaurants, uh, go to pauhanas, go to parties? Like, what what are you thinking at this point when it comes to personal behavior and how are you making these decisions for yourself? Perhaps that can give us some insight on what we should be doing. I think what we're seeing with Omicron is it is so incredibly transmissible that I, I personally um, am trying to limit contact that I have with the public that that's not within my within my circle or my bubble um i think this is a this is not a good time to be out mingling in in crowds and with people you don't know because this virus is so incredibly transmissible um i think the other key thing is really step up your mask game and so where previously you know we were cloth masks were okay what we're seeing now is that we need a, a better level of protection so wearing surgical masks uh, or KN95s or KF94s or along those lines where you have a better filtration, that's going to help to protect you. And if you wear a mask, make sure it's well-fitting. That's one of the most important things is that mask really fits well to your face because even if it's an N95, if it's not fit tested and there are big gaps on the side of it, it's not really doing you that much good. So it needs to cover your nose and mouth. How many people have we seen walking around out there with their nose, you know, exposed and it's just covering their mouth. That's not doing you any good at all. And it's not doing us any good. Um, so, so step up your mask game. You want it to fit well. You want a layer of filtration in there beyond what cloth masks can do for you. Um, and then I think it's just not wise right now to be mingling and out in crowds with people that you don't know. We know that our time is uh, wrapping up here, but I did want to switch gears to quickly get your th thoughts and updates on what's happening over at Red Hill. Uh, any uh, updates that you may be able to pro provide and how the Navy has been cooperating with uh, the orders that have come down from uh, the Department of Health and from the governor as well. Uh, any updates that you can provide us about what's happening there? So with regards to Red Hill, I think it's important to re remember that Red Hill, there are actually several different issues um, they're sort of all tied together, but there's the, um, the AOC from 2015. Um, there was a notice of violation tied to that. There's the, still the outstanding issue on permitting. Um, that's still before the hearings officer. And then there's this order that was issued by the Department of Health, um, was contested by the Navy, but the order was upheld. And so as we learn more, we're bringing in, you know, experts in the field to help us and trying to work as best as we can with, with partners so that we can, we can all move in the same direction. I think at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. You know, I don't think there's anybody out there that says, gee, I wish I could contaminate somebody's water. We all want safe drinking water. We all want a safe environment for our populations. Um, at times it's been very challenging. Um, there's so much data and the data really needs to be analyzed and, and, really extract, you know, what is the meaning of this data or these data points? This is a fluid situation. This is not something that, um, you know, it's just one one reading at one point in one place. This is something where we really need to look at trends. And I, I think I'm reminded by 
the environmental health team and the Department of Health that that groundwater moves. So there's a constant flow and there's a constant movement. And we have a different geology here than on the mainland. And so it makes it really challenging because depending on the different types of lava, um, the flow is is very difficult to predict it be, because whatever type of lava hits, it may accelerate movement. There may be vertical um, movement of, of um, groundwater. There may be horizontal movement. There may be no, no movement in certain areas. It's just really, really complicated. And so we really have been working with and depending on our partners to help us you know, interpret and analyze some of the data points that we're getting back. You know, when you speak about partners, I know you did say that we, we and we do hope that everyone has the best intentions. Do you think at this point the Navy is a good partner in trying to figure out some of those issues, where the where the con possible contamination is going and, and how to stop it? So we have been doing our best to work collaboratively, collaboratively with the Navy. I think it's also important to remember that we in the Department of Health are the regulators. So we are regulating the those that provide the water system such as the navy or board of water supply so we are the regulators and they it's up to the navy to craft solutions to the problem that exists right now um, but we are the regulators and so to the extent that we can work with them and have a good working relationship i think that will help to accelerate you know getting to the right place um, in the most timely manner um, that being said, it's not, it's not that we're, you know, both in working on the same thing. We have a different um, responsibility and we have a different point of view where we are functioning as the regulators. But I think to the extent that we can keep things very collegial um, and, and work cooperatively, I think that's going to help everybody. All right, Dr. Libichar, thank you so much for joining us here on this Friday morning and updating us on everything that is happening there at the Department of Health. We know that there are a number of things aside from uh, COVID-19 and, and the issues with Red Hill. So we certainly appreciate you taking the time this morning to give us an update and answering our viewers' questions. Thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Aloha. Well, a lot to hear to process about what she shared with us. Uh, one of the big things there were the hospitalizations that we are over 400 in the hospital right now. And when we look at that as compared to where we were in the Delta surge, we are approaching the height of hospitalizations, uh, you know, approaching that same number. The good thing is that ICU beds are not as occupied as they were at that time. Yeah, and we also got an update on those numbers in terms of those who have been boosted here in the state of Hawaii, still ranging at about that 30% level. Of course, they are really trying to push the those out there who have gotten their first two shots to get that third booster shot to help build the immunity at this point in time, uh, though they are saying that they continue to watch the guidance from the CDC on how that will help to shape policy moving forward. Uh, there has not been any significant changes to some of these programs that have been set up by the different counties and by the state that would require the booster shot. But uh, she's saying that that may be needed moving forward to help push people over the uh, edge to really entice people maybe to go out there and get that third booster shot. But again, we will have to wait and see or what comes down from the governor or any mayors and changes to policy that may require that. Yeah, and you saw some daylight between her and uh, Dr. Green when it comes to estimating where we are in the pandemic when it comes to Omicron here on the islands. Uh, the lieutenant governor earlier this week saying that he felt like we were plateauing, but Dr. Char saying that the numbers are still on a vertical climb and that 
you know, she doesn't think that we've hit that plateau just yet. She did say that, um, you know, she is advising people to really up their mask game, that if you're wearing a regular cloth mask, it's probably not serving you in the way that a surgical mask or a KN94 or a or KF94 or a KN95 could help um, and really advising people to stay away from crowds. She says it's not the time to mingle with people that you don't know. That said, she did say that at this point, keeping kids in school is a priority. And it does sound like, you know, depending on, of course, the school and the circumstance, it, she does support keeping the schools open. And we did get an update on those testing numbers. Of course, the state continued to process record amounts of COVID-19 testing, uh, putting really a strain on the department overall to process those numbers that come in on a daily uh, level, really focusing on the positivity uh, of those case counts and trying to keep those numbers accounted for uh, and not necessarily being able to look at all those negative tests, which would then give us those that positivity rate. Uh, they, she's saying that they will continue to work hard, but right now they just seem to be overwhelmed with the number of tests that are coming in and also realizing that there are many at-home tests that are also being conducted by individuals in our community that the state doesn't necessarily have uh, accounted within their system. And, and there is no reasonable way of validating that or to collect all that data. So the numbers that we are seeing of these large surges could actually be a lot higher when taking into consideration the amount of at-home tests that are being taken and are not quantified by the state. Right. And she dispelled the notion that this is somehow mild and not something to be worried about because you do hear that increasingly. I hear it in my own social circles. Well, you might as well get it. It's here. Uh, what have you. She said that the, that is not the attitude to take right now. We don't know the long term consequences of catching this particular variant. Uh, it's just too early to tell what kind of long COVID there could be to result out of this. And no matter what, you could put a strain on the hospital system and you might not be able to get the care you need if you do need it. Now, we will be talking about hospitalizations and what they're seeing specifically when it comes also to pediatric cases with Dr. Melinda Ashton. She, of course, is executive vice president and chief quality officer for Hawaii Pacific Health. She's also a pediatrician, super knowledgeable. We've had her on in the past and we are looking forward to a conversation with her right here at 1030 on Monday. Yeah, looking forward to that conversation. We'll also be hearing from the governor on Wednesday uh, ahead, uh, excuse me, after his State of the Union uh, address. And so looking forward to also, excuse me, State of the State address. Uh, so looking forward to hearing and catching up from the governor as well next week. So uh, we want to thank all of you for being a part of this conversation. We hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you right back here on Monday. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Longs Drugs and Beachside Roofing.